I love desk. Brick, are you just looking at things in the office and saying that you love them? I love lamp. Do you really love the lamp, or are you just saying it because you saw it? I love lamp. I love lamp. All right. Welcome back, Analysis listeners. want to welcome back to the podcast a couple of guys that recently got their suits at the toilet store. A couple of world's best bosses from Denver, Colorado. Give it up for Mike Hammond and Jordan Harris. Guys, say hi to the people. Hey, yo. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm definitely wearing uh, men's clothes today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have a suit from Mysterious? Mysterious. Yeah. Perfect. Well... I- I have actually made that mistake in real life before, but I think that's a story for a different time. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot to cover, but uh, you wearing uh, ladies' suits without back pockets, we will we will definitely cover on another podcast. Guys, welcome back, and welcome to your cartoon era. You guys have entered into cartoon form here on the analysis. How do you feel? Do you feel accomplished? Huge honor. A couple of few point, uh, cool points higher, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you guys, uh, Jordan, uh, you were a catalyst definitely for the sci-fi chop. That was your guys' first couple years ago now. We've been at this for a few years, but it was your first time on the show. We did a whole sci-fi. We picked a bunch of, we went round robin and picked a bunch of sci-fi movies. So you got the uh, the Hal t-shirt on there and, and looking at this right now, you got the Terminator arm with the metal mic, very sci-fi because that. Seems to be where you love to spend your time when you're watching movies. And uh, Mike Hammond, you're kind of the alt comedy guy. Got the Steve Zissou hat on and, and you know, giving the giving the finger flick a la Bill Murray there. Yep. Homage to Bill. For sure. Go. So uh, di- different opinions for, for all the moviegoers that are coming to see here and coming to listen to us here. And with that said, we are going to be talking about a guy that, that we frequently... Uh, send memes about and, and gifts about and we're gonna be doing a case for Steve Carell today. All right, All right let's go. Woo! And yeah, Agent Michael Scarn. And we're gonna be focusing a good amount on the film career, but we're gonna change up our format a little bit. And, and as always with Case Four, we normally choose uh, two best, one worst. We do uh, some underrated performances. We do alternative casting. Uh, we're going to kind of skip over uh, underrateds and and spend some time discussing uh, some NBC comedy that he was on for a little while in the uh, mid-2000s. So we're going to spend some time on The Office today just because it's, it's so critical to his career and to a lot of people's perception of him. So we're definitely going to get into some Office chops as well. And uh, with that said, what were some first impressions that you guys had when going through this exercise? What were some of your first feelings? We'll start with you, Jordan. Yeah, so so first of all, that's uh, Oscar-nominated actor Steve Carell, which is not something that yeah. I think uh, a lot of people always associate with uh, someone who's known primarily as a comedic actor. Um, and that kind of goes to uh, what he can do as an actor. Um, but besides that, you know, I think at his funniest, he's the best, he's one of the funniest people out there. He's one of the best comedians. Um, and I base that primarily off of two roles that he's done, both of which I'm sure that we're going to talk about, but those two roles are just, uh, to me, they stand the test of time in, in terms of comedy and, 
Um, that's the office and 40 year old virgin. And I have a feeling we'll talk about those roles, uh, and those movies a little bit later. Um, but I actually don't, I actually think as a, uh, actor, his greatest, uh, ability is not purely as a comedian, but it's as, uh, someone who can mix the sad and depressing and emotional with comedy at the same time. Uh, and so he's a guy that can make you cry and laugh, like literally, delivering one line that kind of is in a sad moment but makes you laugh and i think that's his uh strongest uh asset i guess um and the yeah. only thing i really appreciate about him is the fact that uh he can lead a movie as either a comedic or dramatic actor but he uh as is evidenced by his career is totally willing to do ensemble casts and um has been in a lot of fantastic movies where he might be the third or fourth uh build actor in that movie or at least the third or fourth most uh has like with the screen time in the movie and it's it's cool that he does that and um yeah it's something that i really appreciate about him yeah there's definitely seems to be when i was studying acting people would talk about the three criteria that actors normally decide to to choose a project from and and the first one's money the second one is part the role they're playing and the third one is project like the, the how good they feel the, the movie is going to be and you could definitely get the sense that steve carell leans on number three uh a lot and even evidence in and he recently did a movie called the way way back which was an indie movie and he was definitely third bill after the kid who starred in it and Sam Rockwell. And he kind of played the jerky dad. And I was like, Oh cool. Like Steve Carell is definitely established at this point, but he's willing to take on a project like this because he thinks it's, it's interesting and, and he thinks it has merit. So it, it's always, it's always cool to see him uh, see his approach to his career for sure. So good, good point there, Jordan. Uh, Mike, how about you? How, how'd you feel when you're going through the exercise of Steve Carell's case Four? Yeah, I mean, a few things came out with this. I think one is, uh, have you met anyone that doesn't like Steve Carell? Good point. Like, does he have 100% approval rating? How many people are even like that? I, I'm all set I've with that one... guy. <laughs> right, right. He's not funny. I don't like it. Like, everyone likes this guy. Everybody. I've never met anyone who doesn't like Steve Carell, which is kind of nuts. And when he, he's done plenty of shitty movies. Yeah. It's like, he's not, done like, pretend that hasn't happened. And I tend to, and I'm the same way, I tend to be like, yeah, you know, he's getting money. Like, right, that's right, cool. Right, right. Like, he doesn't like it so much. Yeah. He only yeah, wasted yeah. an hour and a half of my time there. Yeah. But right. I mean, he has a stretch, you know, in the in the mid-2000s there, like 2010-ish. Where he, I mean, he did some not good movies, but I, I don't even remember those, really. Looking back at this, I was like, oh, yeah, he did <laughs> X, Y, and Z. It was kind of crazy. So yeah. I think that's the first thing. Just, just I think everyone likes him. He's, like, one of the most like, affable, likable people, I think, that, that we have that does movies and, and TV. Yeah, and to Jordan's point, he's kind of done it in a in a different way too. His comedy is, and he kind of came out of an era where it was very much there was the um, Mike Myers and the Jim Carrey, and it was very big and it was very almost costume driven. You could be this Austin Powers for Halloween or something. And Steve Carell was a little more alternative in his. He doesn't necessarily do impressions. Uh, he actually ironically does impressions on The Office, but wasn't a huge character guy. Uh, he was famously turned down for SNL, uh, kind of in lieu of Will Ferrell, and uh, you know had kind of bounced around and had a lot of hard luck in terms of his career, despite having a ton of talent. Just never really caught on, and and it really kind of has serviced him well in, in a lot of different ways. And he's 
very much been able to make a, a seamless transition into film and into drama and yes. uh, his work with Adam McKay and kind of where their careers are taking them has, has become very fascinating to me. I had once heard that comedians normally have a shelf life of about five to six years where a, they're interested in doing comedy and having their kind of style out there and B audiences are willing and, 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 and enjoying the shtick and enjoying kind of the, the, the brand of comedy that they're getting from that particular comedian. And then after that, there's normally a transition. Either audiences fall out of favor with that person and they kind of die off, or that person makes a transition into drama. And I really have been enjoying where Steve Carell's been going with it. And uh, I'm interested to see what he's got uh, coming up here in the next five to ten. Yeah, and to your point, Bob, well, just real quick, one more thing to add on that is uh, he's – who else has crossed over like this comedically doing an iconic television show and then going right into movies and doing animated movies, indie movies, rom-coms. The guy does, he, he, he kills everything he does. He does, he does everything well. And, and Bratz <laughs> brought up Jim Carrey, which is a nice way to like, uh, juxtapose, juxtapose against, uh, Steve Carell because Jim Carrey was a guy who everyone kind of loved. And then he was, uh, I forget how your list worked out, but, Bob, I think it was like the number one consideration was money. And Jim Carrey obviously always took the money. And that resulted in a ton of shitty movies. And Jim Carrey actually tried to do the dramatic thing for a while. Um, But still, it was kind of like as the lead and as the main guy. He always had to be the main guy. And Steve Carell is totally okay with just being in the background and being a supporting character in a movie that, as Bob mentioned, is something that... uh, from the get-go that he believed in, whether it's script or director or whatever. And that's pretty cool. Which is why he sustained relevance for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I like to see movies, and I've said this to you guys a bunch, but when I go to see a movie, I like to think that the people that have made it have are, are feeling that this is the best movie that's coming out that year. You know, they, they truly believe that, like, this movie is the difference maker, and I, and I think this is the best project I possibly had a chance to do this year. And I feel more often than not Steve Carell is playing that game and so it makes me appreciate that so with that said let me transition into the filmography and let's set the table a little bit for the movies that we are choosing from today so first of all uh the rotten tomato splits he is um at 62 percent fresh so he's got 32 total 20 are fresh 12 are rotten uh, his highest movie uh, on Rotten Tomatoes is Little Miss Sunshine at 91%. His lowest movie, uh, maybe one of those money grabs, Evan Almighty at 23%. He was nominated for one Oscar for Foxcatcher back in 2015. He also won a Golden Globe for The Office in 2006. That was the year after the first uh, season had come out in 05. Uh, he had also been nominated for Best Comedic Performance on a, a primetime comedy five other times throughout his course on The Office. Uh, as well as he's had movie nominations for Golden Globes for Best Comedy Performance in Battle of the Sexes and Big Short, as well as a nomination for Best Dramatic Actor for Foxcatcher. So, the table is set. The journey began in 1991. He got a bit part in the movie Curly Sue. In 1996, he was in Tomorrow Night, Homegrown. After that, it's Street of Pain, Bruce Almighty, Anchorman, Melinda Melinda, Bewitched, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Little Miss Sunshine, American Storage, Over the Hedge, Evan Almighty, Knocked Up, Dan in Real Life, Horton Hears a Who, 
Get Smart, Date Night, Despicable Me, Dinner for Schmucks, Crazy Stupid Love, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Hope Springs, The Way Way Back, The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, Despicable Me 2, Anchorman 2, Foxcatcher, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, Minions, Free Held, The Big Short, Cafe Society, Despicable Me 3, Battle of the Sexes, Last Flag Flying, and then this year he's got three movies coming out, Beautiful Boy, Backseat, and Welcome to Marwin, which is already getting a lot of buzz. So with that said, guys, table set, we're going to get into our two bests here. We're going to start with Jordan. Give me your first best Steve Carell movie. Yeah, for number one, I'm going with his uh, breakout role, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, in my, so I remember actually seeing Steve Carell before 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? Because I think Bruce Almighty uh, came out before that. And I take my nipples to France, and I like to do the cha-cha. Correct. Which was an absolutely like hilarious sort of small role that he had. And I remember seeing that movie and thinking, uh, I don't even remember most of Bruce Almighty, but I remember Steve Carell's role as being really funny. But at the time, I didn't know that it was Steve Carell, and I didn't bother to look up who that actor was. I just remember that being funny. And after that, he was kind of a guy on The Daily Show, and he wasn't really much of anything until 40-Year-Old Virgin. And that was uh, a, just an, a breakout role for him. I put him on the map, and it's a in my opinion, pretty timeless uh, comedy it. that is still funny to this day. Mm -hmm. Rewatching it was uh, something I really enjoyed. It's still hilarious. There's a couple gay jokes in there that... There's a lot of gay jokes in there that maybe don't there play are. as well yeah. in 2018 yeah. as they play it's in... It's a heterosexual, heterosexual <laughs> friendly movie. Uh, eight or whatever it was. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it's, it's a great movie. It's really funny. Steve Carell kills it as the... Uh, awkward comedic 40 year old virgin and uh yeah just a great movie yeah so this movie he actually had met judd apatow while working on anchorman and judd he was just killing every day because that movie was so heavily improvised everything that adam mckay does is very heavily improvised and apatow was like hey like i'd love to work with you on a feature for yourself is there anything that you think you know and he said well i did develop this sketch that went really well when i was in chicago second city called the 40 year old virgin and apatow was like i know that guy you know ha 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 and so they went to the drawing board and basically made a three minute sketch into a two and a half hour movie <laughs> but the lionorama in this and and there's a first of all let's talk about the cast in this movie because there are so many people who are either huge or about to become very huge in 2004. So this movie has Seth Rogen, early Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Catherine Keener, Jane Lynch, Jonah Hill, Leslie Mann, who's amazing, Elizabeth Banks, Mindy Kaling, and Kevin Hart. All as supporting or, or bit characters so in this Hart movie. Kevin Hart is in that. I forgot yeah. The, yeah the, Kevin Hart gets a scene, Mindy Kaling gets a scene, Jonah Hill gets a scene, and that's pretty much it and those guys are they're they're, they're everyone knows worldwide. who they are today yeah they're worldwide yeah stars. it's it's insane not to mention paul rudd is we were talking about how great paul rudd is in anchorman but yeah paul rudd's fantastic in this um i the it's one of the most quotable movies that we've ever had and titties like bags of sand man titties <laughs> like bags of sand like a bag of sand no no i don't know what you mean if my grandma looked like that i'd fuck jack palance <laughs> like i oh there's so many fantastic lines uh 
that that we quote all the time. Uh, but the, Jordan, you kind of touched on something. I, I think this movie is is really funny. But when rewatching this with Caitlin, there were a few like, "Ooh, ouch!" Like that joke <laughs> did not well. age well, uh, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. Um, just the scene when they're at the bar and uh, his buddy's telling him, "Just built in your DNA is tackle the gazelle." So in every man, your DNA is tackle drunk bitches. We're looking for the drunkest bitches to like take home tonight to. I don't know. A lot of this movie is dudes pretending to be other people to trick chicks into having sex with them. So it's kind of like, ah, ooh. And and there was this run in like basically 04 to 08 where it was the, the last golden age before like Twitter really started to amplify people's sensitivities where like you could be like, that joke's wrong uh, and start to kind of spread the word on, on, on something being insensitive. So in 2003, Old School came out. And then in about six-year run there, there's Old School, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Wedding Crashers, Superbad, Step Brothers, Knocked Up, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Like, that's an amazing run of comedies, right? Those, those are all yeah, those those are incredible. Are, for yeah. us, at least, those are all yeah. top comedies. Yeah, and all those movies and 40-Year-Old Virgin are good examples of, I think in comedies where they go south is the premise of the movie isn't funny. So the premise of like a four-year-old guy that works in an electronics store that's a virgin and all of his buddies are trying to like hook him up with their work friends is a really funny premise. Then you put in all those funny people and it's really funny. It's really not uh, that stupid of an idea. It's like a funny concept. And I had no idea that was a Steve Carell uh, bit that he had created. That's that's interesting for me. Yeah, it's a second city sketch that that he used to do. And there's a little bit of there's a little bit of Michael Scott in that character, less goofy and silly and more in like real life what he would be like as someone who has nothing else but his job and going back to his apartment. It's yeah, there, there. there's definitely a, a rule in Second City where you're you're not supposed to be aware of the joke. And there's very Steve Carell plays a very deadpan, serious face. No one gets me to laugh harder with just a blank stare on their face than Steve Carell. And so there's a, there's a scene in the movie. I have to interrupt you there, Bob. But there's a scene in the movie where uh, he's talking to Catherine Keener about. Uh, dating and not taking things too fast and she proposes i think not having sex for so many dates and he's like i forget what the number is he's like make it 20 and she's like are you serious and he says look how serious i am and all he does is give a deadpan serious serious stare and it's fucking hilarious yeah. he's so good at it god the, there's exactly so many, what you're talking about yeah there's so many great lines uh when he gets her number and he asks when should i call her and he's like when's the next olympics uh, that, that line always made me so laugh. Just like how long you have to wait. Plant it with your finger. Plant the seed with your finger. The the scene where they're because it, it was all done in one take. But when they're ripping the chest hair off of them, ah, oh, nipple yeah. fuck. Ah, I love Kelly Clarkson. Man, they really did that. That was uh, that was iconic at the time. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Also, did you notice that when he takes his uh, girlfriend out to dinner for the first time, they go to Asian Hooters. They go to Benihana's. Benihana? I did not realize that. It's really funny. <laughs> Nagasaki bombs? Yeah, it was a foreshadowing to Michael uh, after he does the Skeezins greetings and it goes sideways on him there. So uh, The best. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, one other thing to point out, it's a little random, but you know who has a uh, cameo in this movie and also a lot of Judd, Ep- uh, I think two other Judd, Ep- Judd Apatow movies is Stormy Daniels of uh you know political yeah. relevance these days she, well, who is she remember, in this remember when yeah, uh, remember when uh what's paul rudd's character name i forget but paul rudd gives him the box of porn 
Oh, okay. Yeah. It's and, and he yeah. goes... Our boner jams of 03. Yeah. And he he goes to watch some, like, uh, Star Wars porn, uh, whatever, and it's... Uh, the, the porn star in the Stormy film Daniels. is wow. Stormy Daniels. And, and it's, like, kind of a made-up thing for the movie. It's not a real porno, obviously. And he ends up, like, fast-forwarding through all the sex scenes so that he can just watch the, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dialogue and the yeah. plot. And then he but ends that's up. Stormy Daniels. That's yeah, pretty yeah. random. Stormy Daniels has a credit in that movie. He ends up just watching every. uh, uh, uh The Raymond show. Yeah, yeah, everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves Raymond. That's just, that's just a funny show. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, that's just a funny show. I don't know how that ended up in the porn box. <laughs> uh, I will say with this movie, rewatching it, it's, it's too long. I think it's about 20 minutes too long. After he starts dating Trish. It kind of becomes a snooze to me. They they enter this whole like eBay conflict with them super late in the movie, like when when she he starts to have the when he starts to pull back from her because of the eBay stuff and then changing his lifestyle. I was just like, man, it's like we're an hour and forty five minutes into this, so I do think it's a little long. Um, there's that's a Judd Apatow thing too. I think yeah, he just like runs too long, hours. man. Well, He's like trim it up. And the yeah. eBay callback is. That's really funny when you think about it. eBay's like, who buys shit on eBay anymore? <laughs> I sell my stuff on yeah. eBay. Yeah, she has an already, actual store that story. you can't actually buy stuff in. You have yeah, to they're already it. making fun of it. Now it's totally, not totally relevant, but people don't buy stuff yeah. on eBay. And the sexist stuff doesn't hold up uh, all that great, but you just got to kind of accept it for that was the time, and, and that was a time where you know that stuff was in play in a comedy. And so it's you, you kind of look at it, and there's if you, if you go back, there's – um, you know, I, I kind of heard it talked on, um, on Bill Simmons podcast, but they were just talking about just in the eighties, there was a scene in revenge of the nerds where a dude straight up like wears a mask and basically tricks this chick into having sex with them. And that's considered rape now. And, but back in the day it was like, Oh, he tricked her. Gotcha. Ha ha ha. And sensitivities yeah. that's, towards that's the problem women. with a dude's dude movie. You just there was can't like do that. Not, where yeah. they were like spying yeah. in the women's showers or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's what happens when it's like a dude director, dude writer, dude actors. It's just like way too much. But it's interesting because that's a generation before us. We look at that. We're kind of like, yikes. That's a little creepy. And so you wonder how people might look at it. A lot of yeah, dudes. Dudes sitting at the back of the bar, looking at girls getting wasted, and being like, "Which one are we gonna? Tr- which one's the most wasted for us to try to take home?" At you know, that might not age so well. But uh, my favorite scene is with Leslie Mann drunk in the car driving, mm. and the fucking branch toast. Totally agree. I quote that probably once a week. I'm not even kidding. She's really great, <laughs> by the way. I still quote French toast all the time. Want some fucking branch toast? Love that scene. Cool. Well, we have uh, spent a lot of time on 40-Year-Old Virgin. Let's keep the beat drumming. Thank you, uh, Jordan, for getting us started. Mike, what was your first movie? Number one for me is Little Miss Sunshine. Jordan and I just rewatched it. He's got an awesome projector screen in his backyard. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was the first movie I saw there. The, yeah. That, it, I, I love this movie. I think Little Miss Sunshine, hot take, I don't think Departed should have beat that movie. That movie should have won the Oscar, I think. I'm going to go that wow. far. Wow. Um, the wow. Departed is is was sort of Oscar bait in a lot of ways for Scorsese. It, Little Miss Sunshine is balancing a lot of stuff. It is it is so good. I could not believe you're watching it, how great it was. And to Jordan's point earlier, and you said this too, Bob, I think this is the perfect balance of the dramatic elements that Carl can bring 
and when he can insert those like deadpan funny things and he's not the focus of the movie really in any way but the way that he he's so vulnerable on screen he's such a likable character and it matters so much every time he's talking uh it, it's just really rare i think to see that and re-watching i just couldn't believe how much that like sunk in for me yeah this movie in my opinion is his strongest movie the strongest movie he's in now does that mean that that's and we do this all the time is that steve crow's totally. best movie or is but mm-hmm. yeah movie over role so i think this is the strongest movie he's in um i it's it juggles with a, a ton of things and it, most importantly it becomes about personal acceptance and i love how all of these characters have their own weaknesses and their own flaws and it really plays into the the, the reality tv or or just the the, the outside media and and just the, the idea of what a winner is and what 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 winning is and what succeeding is like and and, and kind of gets to closer to be able to accept yourself be able to to bond as a family uh it's just really fantastic in a lot of ways greg kinnear is uh the antagonist in this movie richard is the antagonist because of all of the this environment that he keeps bringing in and 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 cultivating in his family and a lot of times people just kind of roll their eyes yeah, that's why I don't. I mean, I want to make this like a departed little Miss Sunshine thing, but this is a more real movie about things that we can all, we all have families, we all have like weird people and families, and you just sort of stick with your family and you just kind of get through certain things. And this movie really epitomizes that. I just feel like I relate to it a lot more the older I get. The other thing about this movie and why it's kind of special to me is that when The Departed came out, that was one of those movies that was like, and I don't know that I agree with you on this Departed being better than Little Miss Sunshine, but when The Departed came out, it was like. Oh shit, Leo and the Departed. There's so, go much see it. Everybody drank. so much hype. I went and saw Little Miss Sunshine because a friend of mine wanted to go see it and I had never fucking heard of it before. And I was like, sure, I'll go to the movies. I knew nothing about it. It I I showed up and I watched that movie and that was one of those movies where I walked out of the theater and I was like, That was amazing. That was an amazing mm-hmm. movie. And I knew nothing about it. It had none of the hype of the biggest movies of the year. Um what year did it even come out? I don't yeah, I was gonna say it's oh six. So we were like we were sophomores in college. Yeah, so we were sophomores now in being older, that's why I'm saying it's even better. I thought it was even better that we just watched it. I yeah, it, but you gotta. It's a. Yeah. It's one of those movies that I don't think you could change one thing about it. It's a. It's I have no problem. Pretty close to a perfect movie. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I love that all of these characters fail in what they're kind of trying to achieve in the movie. So obviously, Olive doesn't get little miss sunshine the dad doesn't get the deal uh steve carell gets embarrassed in front of the boyfriend he doesn't get the boyfriend back the grandpa fucking dies like all of these characters are kind of are trying to achieve the, the kid goes he is colorblind so he can't fly the plane which i think is is the most powerful moment in the, in the when he breaks that oh. silence when he uh, it's such a that's a great steve carell moment too when he's got to process the information and then decide whether or not to share it with the you know share it with his nephew or not but um they all they all fail in what they're trying to achieve and yet they find acceptance within themselves and within the family and that's in that core of the movie that's just a fantastic message in general packaged into it's it's definitely a dramedy there's there's as much yeah, drama it's as there's really comedy funny. it's really it's, funny yeah I, I mean i mean steve steve carell plays a suicidal gay character 
Yeah, it's really yeah. a breakout for him, though. It really yeah, shows it? people that he's able to 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 play that type of character it, in effectively too. Yeah, and the scene he's in the convenience store, the gas station, and he bumps in the like it just buns and ammo. <laughs> buns yeah. and ammo. <laughs> By I the just... way, Hank. <laughs> Hank yeah. from Breaking Bad and Walt from Breaking Bad. Brian Cranston is also He's in that agent. as well. Both, yeah. yeah, yeah. So both Walt agent. and Walt and Hank are both in this movie. It's another movie that you can't really talk about without mentioning the cast, right? So we've talked about some of the people, but Ellen Arkin is uh, absolutely He's so amazing in this movie. Incredible. He is. Yeah, he beat. He won the Oscar for this over Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls. Uh, I mean, he's the comedic relief, right? It's a movie with Steve Carell, but Steve Carell's not the comedic relief in this movie. Yeah. It's Alan Arkin. Also, Tony Collette, who we were just talking about in Hereditary, but just one of the most underrated actresses of my time. I I do not think she gets enough love, and she's fantastic as the like stressed out mom trying to keep the balls in the air and trying to keep this together and trying to but be supportive work with, at the same time. Yeah, be supportive and, of yeah. her husband even though he has unrealistic expectations, and also mm-hmm. keep that family together. I just you know she's she's so good in this. I I really think this yeah. movie top to bottom, and it won best uh, original screenplay, which is always a, a mark of a great movie. That's that's a uh, that's a Jordan Harris uh, take right there. Yep, Jordan Harris. A, every, his Oscar. favorite movie every year ends up winning uh, best best original screenplay, and last year it was Get Out. So oh, interesting. Oh. Didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, would, would you say Steve Carell is like the fifth main character in this movie? Yeah, the fourth, third, main third, character? fourth. I'd say something like that. Yeah, and he just plays the role so well. I mean, I, I could probably talk about this movie forever. There's so many great scenes. Obviously, just like yeah. pushing the van was kind of iconic. The well, entire the, time they have to do that, and to, it's like to get it going. They're a group; they have to be together to get the car going. Yeah, like, very yeah. The van things. is the symbol, the, the yeah. symbol of this family coming to terms with their issues. They've got to work together to get the van going. Like they have to work together to get their lives going. Kind of that that symbolism. It's really it's just, really well written. Yeah, it's just yeah. great writing. Everyone does a great job in it. It's funny. It's sad. It's it's got everything. It's got everything a movie can really offer. I think. And love this movie. Bringing it back to Carell a little bit, I mean, uh, Bob, you touched upon how you thought like the most powerful scene was Paul Dano when he realized that uh, he was colorblind and he wouldn't be able to fly jets, which is like his dream and the whole reason he's not speaking yeah. in the whole movie. And then after that a little bit, there's a scene with Paul Dano and Steve Carell um, on like a dock overlooking the ocean. I love I that scene. Yeah. And it's such a good Best scene, scene where movie. Steve Carell just kind of opens up really and says, you know, the years you suffer, man, those are the greatest. They make you who you are. And it's really powerful mm-hmm. and it's really emotional and it's it's a really sweet scene. And um, that's where he can kind of impact those the movie the... so much with, with even just a little bit scre- of a screen time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So uh, Little Miss Sunshine definitely deserves to be at the top of the list. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Go check it out. So for me, my number one movie uh, and you guys have already used a, a few good ones, uh, so for the, for the sake of definitely getting in here, I'm going to go with Anchorman and talk about Brick Tamlin and the world's greatest dunce. Uh, dunce. Uh, the, we were talking about Linorama. I think Anchorman and 40-Year-Old Virgin might be the two movies I quote the most, with Step Brothers as a close third. Uh, Anchorman is... And again, I've seen it a billion times. So rewatching it now, I'm anticipating the jokes. It's it's almost funny to to play along with the script at this point. But it's the it's what really put him on the map, man. It's uh it, it's what got him working with all these 
great, great, great comedians and great directors and great writers. I think the popularity of Anchorman is what led to him being able to get the green light from NBC to get The Office. And I, I still think it's a very funny and, and silly movie. How, what do you guys think? I, for me, he was like, I obviously we saw Anchorman, we saw it at a midnight show, and I think we were all there together. Legendary stat. That was one of the greater movie viewings we've had as a group, probably ever. I, a top yeah. I, I remember being in a theater trying like not to piss yeah, myself. We, we were laughing, laughing so the entire, like you couldn't hear the lines of dialogue because people were laughing so hard. Yeah. But to me, Steve Carell and Brick was still like the other guy in that movie. So yeah, but it's still. But even though he's the other guy, and there's a lot of great players in that movie, he's still amazing. And his wheeze laugh, his wheeze laugh has always got me. That <laughs> that, that that laugh that he does is just uh, on another level. And uh, the the idiot Dunce character about him again. There's there's better stuff that he's done but this yeah. movie is i love adam mckay's stuff him and will ferrell because they make sure they have so much fun in it and them having fun makes the rest of the audience have fun you know what i'm saying the only thing i'll say is that if you would have told me that like brick tamlin would be a guy who could lead a comedic and or dramatic like movie i would have said no fucking way no way yeah yeah no way Oh yeah, so, that guy is going to uh, be like a, a a psycho killer in a movie that's going to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, no way. Are you kidding? No way. Uh, I just they they really go for it in every single scene. There's no there's no easing into any any scene. I, I wrote down here panda watch is just an example of that. We're just <laughs> the, the the scene cuts to panda watch. I'm here at the San Diego Zoo and it's 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 Brian Fantana. Just like it's just like wow, these guys are swinging for the fence on every single moment that they have, and that hyper reality is for me what what makes this movie so goofy but but so lovable at the same time. We're just they'll add a a, a, a battle royale between six different news teams to the death where people are getting their arms ripped off. Not for the plot of the movie or, or anything, but just because it's fun. Because yeah. why yeah. the fuck not? <laughs> right. You know, that's where it suffers, that... though. Remember, there's there's really no segues. It's just like scene after scene. There's no exposition. All of a sudden, they're in a parking lot fighting other people, and all of a sudden, they're they move from spot to spot. To your point, to make it funny, right? Jack Black yeah, it's... hunting a dog off a bridge because we got to put Jack Black in a scene somewhere. Yeah, just outrageous, extreme. Every yeah, scene. that's a just... case of emotion. Yeah. But see if Corral died. Yeah, want to go to the pants party? The party in my pants. Just a, a, a ton of a ton right, of laughable go. moments. We'll be here. Yeah, um, uh, I I'll I'll throw it in there. But but definitely a lovable movie and, and something that got the wheel turning. So I'm gonna put Anchorman up on on the list there uh, in terms Bob, of one of the best. What what's the timeline here? Well, how did Forty Old Virgin, Anchorman, and The Office play out for Steve Carell? So Anchorman came out in 04. The Office came out in 05, and then oh, uh, also in 05 came 40-Year-Old Virgin, I believe. So did he like yeah, accept did. the role of Michael Scott in The Office before 40-Year-Old Virgin actually came out? Good question. Like it's, I'm wondering if he knew really that he close. was going to be a, like a star when he accepted that role or not. Well, this is something that I wanted to bring up because, yeah, Bob, you're right. 05, The Office started. 05 was when 40-Year-Old Virgin came out. And then Dan in real life and Little Miss Sunshine came out in 06 and 07 and then he hits that kind of bad stretch really at the heart of the office when he's when he's doing the office because the office ends in 2013 
And a lot of these bad movies are kind of from like 2010 to 2013. So I was curious how the timeline played out with all that. I bet he hit on like two or three things, not knowing that either one of but, them were going to be like amazing and two or three of them were. But don't you think yeah. he filmed Little Miss Sunshine in Real Life before 05 or during 05? He definitely released... filmed them after. I remember just after then, right? Because that like I remember he was taking off and he came back to do the Daily Show and he was talking to John Stewart about Forty Year Old Virgin, Mm. and John Stewart had a moment where he's like, "This is huge. Do you understand what this is going to do to you? This movie. You guys haven't seen this yet, but this movie is taking you to a completely another level that you had not anticipated." And he was right. John Stewart was definitely right. But that movie. Definitely, um, the 40-Year-Old Virgin kind of took him, because Brooke Tamlin was very much a supporting character, and then NBC was, or the, the office didn't really take off until the Super Bowl. There was something really critical where that the first season of The Office didn't really have a big following, and then they aired, um, uh, obviously Anchorman was a big thing, but they aired an episode of The Office after the Super Bowl. And a lot of people kind of got into it. It was really, I can't remember which episode it was, but people went back and started rewatching the first season. And that's when the snowball started to happen. Yeah. And like the daily show is obviously a fantastic show, but it's not exactly a jumping off point for people. And they're like, they don't go on to be Steve Carell's after they're on the daily show. Not that long. Unless you're maybe, you know, Stephen Colbert or something, but, but even him, he's not a movie guy. He did his own kind of niche talk show weird daily show so well ed helms ed helms that. was on the daily show oh, rob riggle yeah. yeah i guess trevor noah was on the show rob riggle is not on the same level as steve that guy's, I, hate I, I don't know why i put him in i hate that guy so much <laughs> that guy's terrible <laughs> all right well so that's the anchor man let's swing it back around to jordan for movie number two in terms of your favorite movies all right so my movie number one was 40 old virgin right purely comedic movie that put him on my map so movie number two is Foxcatcher which couldn't be a larger departure from a pure comedy. Um, Steve Carell, there's, there's essentially no comedy in this movie whatsoever. It's, uh, it's, it's a drama about a rich guy who, you know, spoiler alert, murders people. And Steve Carell plays a creepy dude. Just like, to call like, him creepy is not doing it, sir. Unsettling, unsettling dude, movie. There's, he there's scenes. There's scenes in that movies. Like, uh, there's it's a lot of watch. makeup, and you know, he's in you know costume and makeup or whatever that adds to the effect. But there are scenes in that movie, even rewatching it, that kind of like made me cringe a little bit, and sort of like I didn't want to look at Steve Carell because it was like gross or weird and creepy. There's scenes where he's like, right, so he's like this wrestling. I don't know, coach, like... You not to, a coach, I'm yeah, not, just a, an, an ambassador. Yeah, I'm not going to, like... Money. Just, yeah, I'm not going to describe the movie, but he's kind of obsessed with wrestling and U.S. wrestling and the Olympics, and uh, there's scenes where he has, like, one-on-one wrestling practices with, like, Channing Tatum, who's supposed to be, like, the U.S. Olympic wrestler, and it's so creepy. It's hard yes. to watch. And Quick shout-out to Channing Tatum. Definitely his, his best, best movie. For sure. Definitely his best, best role. He's really good in this. I, I think there's two things that are in play with this movie to me. Uh, one is that he plays a, a rich psycho. So those pe- those characters are always uh, scary. They're just scary to me. The people that are so rich that they don't have a grasp on reality and, and kind of where that kind of terror might be able to come from with just people who don't have a grasp on reality. And then also someone with mama issues. 
Mama issue dudes are fucking scary. Yeah. And you could even go back to Psycho and Norman Bates. It's just like dudes that have uh, mother dependency and, and, and crazy mother dudes. So he's kind of he has he has both of those in play in this. Uh, I I just think that adds to extra sliminess for me, just because those are characters that always unnerve me a little bit. Yeah, and I also like yeah, definitely. There's there's that scene where he his uh, you know, his mother thinks that wrestling's like low class, but she comes to uh, view like one of their training sessions, and he like calls this meeting because he kind of wants to show off where he's like yeah. a coach and teaching, and it's man, it's so awkward, it's so, so cringy. Weird. Yeah. Um, that and the other scene that uh, even on rewatching this movie, the the final most climactic scene in the movie. Uh, and I don't know if we're doing spoilers or not, but go ahead, um, go. Yeah, basically, you know, he kills somebody, right? And the way that it plays out, the way that it's filmed, and the way that Steve Carell sort of uh, carries it, even on rewatching, even on knowing what's going to happen, it it startled me, it made me jump, and like kind of gasp a little bit. I was like, oh shit! Like that's like it was still shocking, even on a second viewing, and. Yeah. I think that, you know, part of that's writing and, and directing, but part of that's Steve Carell and kind of how he was able to create this character and, and play out this scene. It was, it was really good. Well, let me let me throw this out there, though, because for me, it was number two. I put number two as Fox Pitcher also, but is this the best use of Steve Carell's skills and talent? That's what's crazy. I don't know? think it is. It's totally No, different. I don't think it is. So I'll give him the credit for what he did because it's so impressive, but... He's so versatile, and we just talked about like Little Miss Sunshine, Forty Year Old Virgin, Anchorman. It's like I'd rather see him do that to the extreme than something like this. Although I have a ton of respect for him, that's why it's number two on my list too. I totally agree. He's if I was listing best movies that Steve Carell was in, Foxcatcher would probably be in the top four or five. But it's the well, best showcase of what Steve Carell can do as an actor, comparing it to Forty Year Old Virgin. And he gave him a ton of credit for doing it. Yeah, and. Yeah, he gets a little fish out of water praise for the the Oscar nomination. I think it's a very good performance. Also with just Bennett Miller, who's the director, he did Moneyball and Capote. It's a testament to the performance and, and a testament to all the performances that are in the movie because the movie definitely fits into into me a I've only seen this one time before I came back to this for this exercise. So I, it definitely fits into the I'm only watching this once kind of it's it's very slow it's very heavy it's it's not an enjoyable watch by any means even for a drama um and bennett miller does kind of because of moneyball he he kind of plays in this it's kind of a true sports movie kind of sports related but definitely not about sports in any way i he's an interesting director but he definitely has a lot of slow burn movies and, and a lot of movies that are um definitely good for one watch but but not a ton and he relies on those performances. So he relies on Ruffalo and he relies on Channing Tatum and he relies on Steve Carell a ton because the movie doesn't have a ton of pace or really a, 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 a ton in terms of the plot in general. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I didn't, I didn't know that this was, this is obviously a true story and I didn't know the story before watching this movie. So I was interested, I guess, in the plot a bit. Um, I, I was pretty interested in it. Like I didn't, I knew it was going somewhere, and I didn't know where it was going. If you know the story from real life, and you know where it's going, I can see how it can be pretty slow. It's like, just get us there. But for me, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Okay. 
yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just the, the movie for me definitely is was in the I don't know if I'm going to get back in to rewatch that at any time. So, well, yeah, I don't want to rewatch pretty... Requiem for a Dream either because it's fucking creepy and it's depressing. Kind of this movie I have rewatched too. that a bunch of times, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, for me, uh, Mike, you also had Foxcatcher. For me, my second one, I put a little off the beaten track, but I put Searching for a Friend at the End of the World. Interesting. You guys seen? Yes, yeah, yes, I, I was really thinking about this. I really like this movie a lot, and this is the movie where there's a, a meteor coming to the Earth, and kind of chaos has happened, uh, and, and and people are kind of accepting the fact that they're going to die within a week. And it's a it's a road trip movie with him and Kira Knightley, and, and Steve Carell's trying to get back with get back to this long lost love that he had, and Kira Knightley is trying to get back to England to see her family, and. Kira Knightley and Steve Carell, and it's definitely more of a drama than it is a comedy, but it it's 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 a drama with some nice sweet moments kind of sprinkled in, some comedy sprinkled in, and uh, Kira Knightley and Steve Carell have some surprisingly good chemistry in it, and uh, I, I, there's some some really nice scenes in it that I really like. There's a scene where they go to kind of like a TGI Fridays type of restaurant called frenzies and everyone's doing molly and, and it's just a wild scene with uh it's kind of led by tj miller who's always really funny uh and then there's just this great like dinner party scene that he has to go to when he's moping and and, and hasn't really made his decision for his road trip yet and Patton oswald's there and asking him to do heroin and he's asking him to like do this three stuff double stuff that cookie and i've always wanted to do heroin and there's cocaine everywhere and it's just it's you know people going through chaos uh but um the movie goes through a lot of different tone switches uh but that would kind of be how you would feel going through that type of scenario i just found it a very likable kind of loving movie and uh enjoyed it a ton and, and, and Steve Carell kind of has to wear a few different hats in terms of his performances in terms of uh earnest but then funny and he, he's got the deadpan stuff going on I I've just really liked the movie in general how do you guys feel yeah I agree I like that he this is one of those more indie movies he sort of threw in there he seems to bounce back and forth between the two and I thought it was a, it's a difficult movie to to be good because it's kind of it's kind of a dark comedy but it's more of a drama like you said Bob yeah examining the end jordan of the have you seen like it that. i'm really upset that i haven't seen this movie because it's literally been on my watch list because i think it's on netflix for like seven years and i've wanted to watch that movie just because i wanted to see it and i have it and when i was going through preparing for this podcast it was on my list to rewatch, and i actually thought like eh, this movie is not actually going to show up on anyone's list so i'm going to rewatch movies i've already seen before watching this one and i didn't get around to it so uh, that kind yeah, of bums, check that out. kind of bums me out. Now I definitely want to see it. It's not a great movie or anything. I, I don't. It, but it's but it's it's a good role for him. I agree about. It was yeah. it was number uh, four for me. I was, I was okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys have any uh, shout outs before we get into the office? Yeah, I think Crazy Stupid Love is decent. I like his character in that. Off Gosling. Zondi definitely wanted us to ride for Crazy it, it, Stupid Love. Crazy that's a really good rom com. I hate rom coms. Yeah, it is. It's a legitimately good movie that has the rom com like. Your girlfriend can see it. Your you know, mom could see it and still like it. But it's a good movie at heart. I think it's actually funny. It's another movie that has a great cast. It's another ensemble. It's got Ryan Gosling. It's got Emma Stone. It's got Julian Moore. Uh, it's even got that guy that you recognize from every fucking movie whose name I don't even know. as like The bald guy? Yeah, exactly. The Fargo guy? <laughs> yeah. The Fargo husband, yeah. yeah. But and I actually I think it's really funny. It's, it's a good movie. And it, it, 
it couldn't make the top list for me, but it's it's a movie that everyone should watch. Bob, you mentioned this movie earlier, which I was surprised because I thought it was going to be uh, something that didn't get brought up. But way way back is a fantastic movie. It's a great, yeah. It's a great coming of age story. Uh, Steve Carell plays an absolute dick of a person in that movie. He that is dude. he is a jerk, right? He's that not person. funny whatsoever. He's <laughs> an a asshole. player. Yeah, and he kind of I like I like when they try to make Steve Carell hot in both that movie. He's got like a tan and he's got like Beer. the flipped up. Yeah, yeah he is. Like, and then in uh, in Crazy Stupid to, like, Love, he goes through the, the uh, uh, I don't know the transformation with Ryan Gosling where they turn him into like this hot dad or something. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's all sweat in here. It's he, like a wetsuit. Yeah, yeah, he bangs his kid's teacher or something. But you're like, yeah, Steve Carell, you're not looking so bad. You yeah. know, he lost a little bit of weight, got a little tan, did the hair different. It's like, oh, not, not a bad looking guy there. Yeah. So, what do we think about Dan in real life? It's, it's, I thought it was a good movie. It's a solid movie. I, I don't have it yeah. up there, but at the time when I saw it, I really liked it. And then, I, I don't know, I I just never felt the same way about it when I watched it again. But it's, it's definitely good. It's yeah, I love the... The little the family talent show that they do, mm-hmm. I definitely have a fantasy one day of having that be in my my family where they they all do the family talent show. And then there's a really nice scene with him and Dane Cook back when yeah. Dane Cook was still in movies, where he's playing the guitar, the guitar. and he's singing. Um, they're singing "Let My Love Open the Door," and he kind of is he hasn't performed in front of the family since his wife died, and he he kind of starts reflecting through the song. Uh, I I think it's a really nice movie, and plus uh, a really good cast again: John Mahoney, Diane Weiss, Norbert Leo Butts, Dane Cook is actually decent in it. It's a charming little movie, you know. And again, uh, he has chemistry with Juliette Binoche, which is interesting. But yeah, I I, I Dan in real life is kind of in the middle of a lot of lists. I'd feel uh, mm-hmm. another line in that movie, another that I quote all the time is uh, Steve Carell when he's like driving back and forth. He keeps getting pulled over by the cops, and at one point he says. Uh, the cops writing him another ticket. He says, "Well, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. Put it on." And that's something. That's a, that's another <laughs> line. We say that all the time. All the time. So. Yeah, and then real quick, uh, let's get into Big Short, and it just pretty amazing cast. It's it's kind of hard to say it's a Steve Carell movie because it's such a, a um a big ensemble piece, but just a, a great movie and really put McKay on the map and a great watch. I, he just plays angry a lot in that one, but. Pretty much a straight. Uh, he's he's not really doing a ton of comedy there. He's he's letting the situation be the comedy and not necessarily him. But I think a great movie. Yeah, definitely worth a shout out. Yeah, big time. Cool. So those are our roses. Every rose has a thorn, though. Let's uh, real quick talk about some of our least favorite Steve Carell movies. So let's get into those with Mike. Can you lead me off with a least favorite, please? I'm gonna go with Get Smart because it's just such an uninspiring, lame movie. It really has nothing to offer, and it sucks that Steve Carell was the main guy in that. TV I get remake. he took it. Yeah, I get he took it. I'm sure he got paid well. I didn't look it up. But to me, that movie was just like, oh, man. Okay, I I get this. This is what it is, whatever. It's one of those movies I wanted to ask Bob about. It's like, what is the, uh, I don't know, because you're someone who's, like, in tune with the industry. And, like, how, how what is the perception when someone takes a movie that's so clearly just a money grab? Right. Like that? Like, right. What's yeah. the insider perception there? I don't know. For me, this seemed... I don't know what the the audience was for this. Like, what? who was really going, like, we need to make... We, I wish we had more Get Smart. Like, no one, no one really was saying that at the time, even Steve Carell fans. I think the industry was like, this was a 
TV show that had a comedian that was a lot like Steve Carell. Maybe we can remake this with Steve Carell. And I think they kind of chose the actor and made a vehicle around him rather than the audience really wants to see a remake of this particular TV show. Does that make sense? It's not actually, it's not even funny. It's just, it's just so safe. It's just, it's just, there's there's nothing to offer. And Steve Carell, to be fair on the criticism side, has done quite a few of these movies that are just, yeah, just why? Uh, I mean, there's schmucks, man. I saw that when it came out because I was like, man, Steve Carell's the best. I went and saw that movie. It was like Steve Carell and Paul Rudd, right? Or yeah, yeah, Paul Rudd. Yeah, yeah. and that movie yeah. is just not funny. It's just bad. It's not a funny premise. Is that your worst, Harris? Is Dinner for Schmucks? No, my worst is way worse than oh. all these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Get Smart was was pretty uninspired, and it was back. You know, Will Ferrell had done a Land of the Lost movie. It was, and it, I mean, it's still very prevalent now. They're they're remaking TV shows into movies, and or just remaking TV shows into TV shows. So. Uh, uh, well, I think Will Ferrell had also done Bewitched, which Steve Carell was in. Uh, oh yeah, I just, that's right. Yeah, they're pretty uninspired, and they they normally go the wrong way in terms of audience perception. So I don't know why they keep making them, but they do. Jordan, you you'd mentioned that you have one that's way worse. What is the way worse for you? Yeah, I watched this movie. I had seen Get Smart, so I knew how bad that was, and I watched this movie. Just I don't know. I thought maybe it could be the worst movie. I thought maybe it could be underrated. I had no idea how bad it really was, and that's the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Yep, that's mine too. <laughs> it's so bad. They in that movie, they somehow that movie somehow makes both Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi, who are really the main two people in this movie, the only two people. Well, uh, with Jim Carrey as a side character, who's also horrible. But I actually Steve thought Carell Jim Carrey Steve, was okay in it, doing the Chris he, Angel thing. He, he was maybe the best character in the movie. I don't know. Which is But it's completely sad. That movie somehow made Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi not only unfunny, but unlikable. And that's hard to do. Like, both <laughs> these people are, I think, actors who, we, like, we love seeing on screen. Or even just, like, seeing, like, not on screen. Just as people that, like, they seem like decent people. And this movie just somehow, somehow made them seem both horrible. And it was... Not one laugh in the whole movie. Yeah, it's not it funny. Just, it's it's just so bad. The diva Steve Carell magician Vegas thing. It just it didn't play. They him him being a jerk. I I like him being a jerk in the way way back when it's honest and earnest. But him being like jerky, uh, funny guy is uh, didn't work. The the. The love relationship didn't work in that movie. It's it's the sight gags were really dumb i really yeah. thought jim carrey was the only thing that kind of made it watchable in my opinion it, uh i actually read something i forget the exact uh stat but that's the first movie in like 12 that jim carrey had done that he wasn't the lead person on it so uh that says something too but my notes for this movie is bullet point everything about it is dumb really? yeah. <laughs> and i feel like that sums it up pretty well cool cool I definitely agree. Burt Wonderstone is the worst. Dinner for Schmucks would be my number two. Both movies just pretty piss poor. He went on a little bad run there in the uh, coming out of the office days, but we recovered. We recovered nicely. So speaking of the office, that's going to allow me to make a nice seamless transition into that NBC comedy that we know and love and quote so much. 
I would just like to spend a few minutes here talking about The Office, talking about why it's important to us and giving our feelings and feedback on that show that Steve Carell led for so many years. So, Mike, I'm going to have you kind of kick us off in terms of this conversation. What are some of your feelings on The Office? Yeah, I think you nailed it when you just said it's it's the most important television show, I think, of our generation. The most iconic, I would say. In terms of like growing up with the show and being so obsessed with it and just how funny it was. And then the rewatchability of it, I think, is really unlike any anything else, right? I mean, no one else watches. I, I've probably seen the first five or six seasons of The Office, what, five, six times? I can't even, that's embarrassing, but I've probably seen it that many times. What I do is whenever <laughs> I put something on TV, it's The Office, and I just watch the entire series straight through until it ends. And even through the horrible seasons. Yeah, <laughs> so, <yeah>. like, <laughs> I suffer through those, and then I rewatch it from the beginning all the way through again. Well, and the show is Michael Scott, which is Steve Carell. And when he's off the show, the show's dead and it's done. It is by far his best role character. This is a movie podcast. We focus on movies. But The Office, in my opinion, is by far his best role. Yeah. Uh, his best character. It Comedy, it's heart, it's everything. And it's, it's the best showcase of Steve Carell. That's the thing, though. I think what makes it great is there's a dramatic backdrop to Michael Scott that the more you watch the show, the more you pick up on. And there's a lot of like real life things that make that actually more of a grounded character than yeah. give him credit for, and that's what makes the show so endearing. That's why people like it so much because Michael Scott's this like complicated, stupid, uh, but like loving, caring person, like someone that you would would you want to work for him? I think you would. It's like this very different thing to watch. And nothing is more telling than the fact that the show sucks once he leaves yeah. the show. It, it's over. Yeah, the show it was over his show. Years. Yeah, it's I. It's really put into fantastic perspective on that last episode with Pam and just kind of the illuminating of everyday life and the hilarity of the small moments and the the small moments in life and the, Oh, that's so whichever character that we ended up getting to appreciate. And that's when we were watching this, this definitely came out or Mike, you had introduced me to it when we were in college and living together, but the, you really felt that there was this uh, fraternity of people when you watch the show that you could jump in if you didn't watch the show a lot and, and laugh in an episode or two, but there were these moments, these little moments in that were callbacks or references to other parts and different seasons that were kind of wink winks to people who were in it every single week with Uh us. And so that's the stuff that really made me have so much affection for it. And that payback, because Michael Yes, he's obnoxious, and yes, he's rude, and, and, and yes, he's closed-minded, but he's also wants to make that office the greatest place to work, and he loves his associates so much. He loves the people that he works with so much, uh, and that kind of dichotomy playing out always made for great TV, and that moment when Jim tells him he's the greatest boss oh, he's man, ever that's, had. That's my thing I was just going to talk about. I, oh, dude, it's, it's yeah. incredible, incredible acting. It is everything, and you get the payback, like you said, or the payoff, because you've watched the show that long, and that scene means more to people who've watched it than it does to just watching it on its own in a vacuum. Yeah, because he had fought so hard for those relationships. He had fought so hard for a relationship with Pam. He had fought so hard for a relationship with Jim. So to, to have it reciprocated and not be unrequited was it was really nice. It was a, it was a very sweet moment, and um, the show in general had, had a – for as much comedy and wackiness that it had when it was in its real moments, when it was in its heyday of seasons two through five, uh, you know, those were very, very great payoffs for the people that watch the show every week, you know? 
So. Yeah, and for me, I was I was introduced to this show when uh, Bob, you and Mike obviously went to Central Michigan together, and I was introduced to this show when I was visiting you guys over the summer, and. You know, we were college students. Our summers were pretty much open. I decided for some, whatever reason to come to Central for like a week and I don't know, and just stay there. And we would go tubing down the river every day and every night we would just watch The Office. DVDs. We had DVDs of The Office. Yeah, it was the DVDs. And I had never seen it before. And I just was hooked almost instantly. And I remember going back to school at Michigan State and it was like welcome week in the first weeks of school. And I would spend, I would wake up and start watching episodes until it was time to like go out and party right. and then i would do that and then i would come home watch, and watch episodes what? Wait, was and i would do that until i got caught up because i was like three or four seasons behind or something and nothing and this was during a time where i would have made the argument that there was nothing worth watching on tv and movies were the only thing worth watching because this is not today we have an era of tv that's lots really really good lots yeah, of tv's options. winning now yeah. yeah and back then i mean to watch like a NBC NBC show. I would have never would have yeah thought that that would have been a good show. Dude, and and the first season of that, there was some very like racy. They I cannot believe the they limits, put that yeah. on TV. And that's another thing. Yeah. The show, even like looking back on it, there are some like oh wow, that's you could not make that today. You could not do that episode today. Or just the fact that they were doing it on NBC and getting away with it, like that seems like almost like an HBO level show. And you know, it's not super like they don't swear a lot it's not super graphic but they definitely are pushing lines yeah. there and uh well that's comedy though comedy yeah. is finding the line and then pushing it finding the line and then seeing how close you can bump up to it and you know challenging people and i think the the way they do it is so smart where they they package it and you know, they because you really don't like michael or you, you you like him but you don't i the and and but to, to make the character understanding, I, it's just such good writing. They had such good writing on those shows for so many years. Yeah, and to bring it back to Corral, that was when that he became famous in this show in every way. The first season, he's like overweight. He's like losing his hair. And then he just, he becomes a star in the show. And like, this guy is going to do basically whatever he wants at some point. I mean, this, this is the funniest person I've seen on a television show for sure. So it's definitely the most iconic thing he's done. I don't think he's going to do anything better than that. There's certain episodes I've seen 12 times that make me laugh every fucking time. Like out loud, like, you, yeah. like it kills you. What are your What are your favorite episodes? If you had to choose your favorite oh, episode man. or your favorite bit, what would it be? So I always like thinking of, uh, there's a lot of great episodes, but I like when you can string together a series of episodes that are just like one after another that are so fantastic. And Mike and I were actually talking about this before uh, we started the podcast, but uh season three in my opinion is uh, just the the funniest season and the first like 13 episodes of that season are incredible it's insane it starts with the gay witch hunt (laughs) where they out where they out oscar as gay and uh Mm -hmm. and uh, i would never call him a i would never call him faggy if i knew he was gay yeah you don't call your friends retarded if they're retarded (laughs) you call your friends retards when they're actually retarded (laughs) yeah and then so the impromptu like kiss on the lips with Michael and Oscar and uh, yeah. man that that episode is followed by and pay attention Angela because you can't catch anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so... the, the the like for me though, just episode wise, just encapsulating, we're talking about you know the like dramatic and funny parts of of Corel. I think the masterclass of that is the Michael Scott Paper Company. 
the two episodes where okay. he goes from what a dumb idea, uh, so senseless, totally obnoxious, has no idea what he's doing, and then he brings it all together at the end, and they get like everyone's better off than when they started, which is what he does. Yeah, he, he's he that takes idiot you down with that moment of genius. Yes, and like somehow yeah. it works, and uh, just the stuff with Pam and how like Pam like changes her life by making a bad decision that ends up being good. The whole thing is like that is what Michael Scott is. That is why Corell that show is so phenomenal. There's a line in that one of those episodes that I think about a lot where Michael says something like they're meeting with an accountant and he says something to the effect of the accountant's like your prices are too low and he's like our little prices, our prices are keeping us in business. He goes, no, your prices are what's going to drive you out of business. And as uh, movie fans and somebody who uh, subscribes to Movie Pass and who has, I think about that all the time. That's exactly right. Because, like, that's essentially Movie Pass's uh, business model. 100%. <laughs> so it funny. was Michael Scott Paper Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, What's man, your some of my about? favorites. Yeah. My favorite Scott's Tots, oh, What yeah. You Gonna Do to Make Our Dreams Come True. Um, definitely Prison Mike, What Makes You Think I Will Not Put You Up Against the Wall, Biatch. Yeah. Uh, the Dundies, the uh, the the Dundies, the meltdown of the Dundies, uh, and uh, uh, Agent Michael Scar and the table reading of Threat Level Midnight was I as an actor just the table reads in general I I was slapping my knee holding the urine from coming out of my (laughs) knee. It's incredible. Okay, so Prison Mike episode, Benny Hanna Christmas. Back from vacation, where Michael takes Jan to Sandals and spreads the picture yeah. of her. Tan everywhere, Jan, Jan everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling salesman, and then the episode where Nard Dog, Jim pranks Nard Dog because he's come back to the office by putting his jello and he punches uh, his jello or his uh, cell in the ceiling. Yeah, in the yeah. ceiling. Yeah. And Nard Dog punches a hole in the wall. Those are consecutive episodes. And that is I'm going to lose my freaking mind. I think that oh, wow. might be the funniest episode. Overall. That's a that's an incredible it's pretty run. freaking unfunny. <laughs> just loses his man. Mind. We were really spoiled. Now that I'm thinking about it, just this run from like '04 to '09 of all those great comedies that I listed at the top of the show. And in the meantime, when we go to turn on and network television, we're able to watch just killer episode after killer episode of The Office. We used to uh, really. I'm I'm nostalgic for these times, man. It used to be Thursday nights, right? We would get. The, I had roommates in college. Obviously, people would come over. And we would watch The Office in, like, silence because everybody was so tuned into it. And we would just be drinking. And we that was our that was our pregame for going out that night. You know, drinking, watching The Office, the episode ended. All right, let's go. And that was well, – I'm nostalgic for those oh, times, yeah, man. man. It was good times. Glorious. Andy Bernard Andy Bernard said in the final episode, I wish someone would tell you when you're in the good old days when you're in them. Maybe someone should write a song about that. And here we are talking about the good old days. Yeah. Shout out to Nard Dog. So, cool. Let's put a button on The Office. Uh, great job, guys. And we'll continue to reminisce about The Office on our own time. But uh, let me uh, bring this home with alternative casting. So, we've all uh, thought about other roles that Steve Carell might be great in. I uh, wanted to list some... So he has a very brief, limited casting. The first one I had mentioned at the top of our episode, but he was considered for SNL, didn't get it. Uh, he always uh, considers Will Ferrell the person that, that got the part on SNL over him. He was also offered a role in Talladega Nights as a member of the pit crew. Uh, he turned down. That went to Jack McBrayer. 
Uh, he was considered. Uh, uh, there was a few other people that were considered for Michael Scott. I've added the, them in here as well. Uh, one was Paul Giamatti was the first choice to play Michael Scott, but he ended up turning that down. And the other one was Saul Goodman. Mr. Bob Odenkirk also auditioned for hmm. the role of Michael Scott, but Which didn't get it. He actually has. Uh, he's in an episode of The Office playing a Michael Scott-like character in one of the later seasons. Yeah, when it's bad. Yeah. When it's bad, yeah. exactly. Uh, then um, he was also rumored to play Ron Donald in Party Down. That role eventually went to um, Ken Marino. And uh, Paul Rudd was originally supposed to be in Party Down instead of Adam Scott. So both of them were ended up not being cast, and uh, Adam Scott and Ken Marino got those. But those were the quick alternative castings. Oh, he also is... Um, uh, Gary in the Ambiguously Gay Duo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but he played the voice of Gary in the Ambiguously Gay Duo. Yeah, so, you that that. I didn't even know that, and you, you brought it up, Jordan. Yeah. yeah. So uh, those are his alternative castings and some other alternative castings for The Office. Jordan, what are your alternative castings for Steve Carell? So I actually had a pretty tough time with this, and uh, what it made me realize uh, is that uh, you know, someone as funny as Steve Carell, who like I kind of hold in such high esteem, it it kind of made me realize that like he kind of fills a certain niche. Like he does certain things very well, but I had a hard time like placing him into roles that other people had played because I think what he does is kind of you know it's it's different. It's a little bit unique. So um, okay, the first thing that came to my mind, which I almost I, I was kind of I don't know. Not embarrassed, but I thought it was a little bit of a cop-out. Um, but it's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So I swapped a serious movie done by a, com- a comedian for another comedian that can do serious movies. And, you know, Jim Carrey... We spent a lot of time on Jim Carrey today. Yeah. Sur- even talking to... <laughs> Surprisingly. Yeah, uh, Bruce Almighty. But, um, you know, I think he would have been good in that role. I've got a couple others on these lists that I don't think are great substitutes, but... Um, one I thought was kind of interesting was, you know, Grindhouse, part of the, the Quentin Tarantino, uh, Planet Terror yeah. Grindhouse, uh, double feature that Kurt Russell plays the kind of killer dude that drives the car. I don't know. I think Steve Carell could do that. You think so? <laughs> okay. He could be a creepy <laughs> dude that drives the car and kills people. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Alrighty. Hammond, do you have a couple alternative castings? Yeah, same thing with Jordan. I, I struggled a bit with this. The The only one I could come up with that I'd really like to see is if he replaced John C. Riley and Step Brothers. Mm. And it was him and Will Ferrell. Oh. And let them just riff. You gotta call me Dragon. Yeah, and, and let them do, you know, 50 takes on all these you know, random <laughs> scenes and to take the best one. That's, that's what he does. I'd love to see him with Will Ferrell, which he was in Bewitched with, but not really that movie sucked. So I'd like to see him in like a more funny role. But in that, I agree with Jordan. I, it's it's hard to it's hard to see him in different roles because of the decisions he's made and the way he fits in in those movies. I yeah, like I think you could probably substitute Steve Carell for Adam Sandler in movies like Funny People and Spanglish, which are not mm-hmm. bad movies. But I also oh, feel like Spanglish, huh? Punch Drunk Love, you could do that too. Yeah, but I also feel like yeah. it's a disgrace to even equate Steve Carell with Adam Sandler. Yeah, it's, it's a complete disgrace. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Sandler had a nice little run. Yeah. So. Real quick for mine, an obvious one was Saul Goodman, given the likeness, Mm -hmm. Chicago comedian, Chicago Second City guys with him and uh, Bob Odenkirk. 
Um, I really like Bob Odenkirk, but Steve Carell would be a good Saul Goodman. I also had uh, Bob Wiley in What About Bob? Kind of the dry sense of humor, annoying but sweet, kind of wacky guy. Again, obviously Bill Murray was fantastic in that movie, but if Bill Murray didn't exist, I think Steve Carell would make a pretty damn good obsessive-compulsive Bob Wiley kind of guy that would drive Richard uh, Dreyfus nuts. And then the other one, because he plays such a good role model dad figure in Dan in Real Life and in Crazy Stupid Love and even the role model stuff that he goes through with Little Miss Sunshine, I thought um, George Banks, Steve Martin's character in Father of the Bride, Mm -hmm. that kind of charming, comedy, loving dad, but physical humor, situational humor, trying to keep all the balls in the air. I thought he would really be, be good at that, kind of the physical bits with the sarcasm. I thought that would be some some good wheelhouse Steve Carell kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that works. It's it's interesting to think about the next phase of his career, I guess. And... Yeah, Father of the Bride, I don't know. For me, it was like a shrug of a movie in the first place, so I don't know. Dude, Father of the Bride's a classic. Yeah. Well, but both that one. Steve, or... Steve Martin. That's that's someone who are that's like we always talk about this how comedy is generational. The generation before us thinks Steve Martin is hilarious, including Steve Carell, right? I'm pretty sure he would. He, uh, Steve Martin's in part of the inspiration of who Steve Carell became. But for me, Steve Martin's not that funny. Steve Carell's hilarious. Yeah, well, I I think I think the Father of the Bride's a pretty fantastic movie, and I think if they were to have had Steve Carell in his prime in that time, you would have uh, you'd seen him kill that part. So, uh, final thoughts, guys, before we send it home. Final final case fours, Mike. I would just say overall, I I don't think there's. I think he's the most successful TV to movie crossover person. I mean, like what Clooney? Maybe like George Clooney? I don't even. I mean, except for that, he's not a Bruce Canadian. Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah. I don't know. He's definitely the Mount Rushmore of guys that you can put him in anything. And if he's going to do a great job, it's going to be engaging to watch him. It's really impressive. If Steve Carell made a thousand crappy movies and did The Office, I would still be supportive of Steve Carell because the Steve Carell seasons of The Office are that good, in my opinion, that it outweighs all the bad that he could have possibly ever done. So the fact that he's done good movies on top of that just elevates it to me. Obviously, a huge fan of The Office. Uh, a fan of his better movies he's done some stinkers but you know yeah whatever he he didn't get famous till late in life he he did some money grabs he made some money you know cash those checks steve crow man good for you love steve crow yeah hilarious guy two of the most quotable comedies uh uh, just our our generations seinfeld uh, overall the versatile actor that I, i'm very excited to see where else he can go in his career and uh look back on his work fondly so great case for guys i appreciate it i appreciate you guys sticking around and doing enough uh, episodes to get yourselves a cartoon you guys will live in infamy and i'm gonna play you guys out now with uh, let my love open the door him and dane cook giving you guys a little serenade on the way out from today so appreciate you guys sticking with me from denver you guys if you guys send off the audience say goodbye to the people all right man that's my love let my love open the door let my love open the door let my love open the door